صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند باليستاين ريمبرد وذ روبرت مارتن ناصر مشني اند يوسف احمد الريماوي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, Rob. How are you? Mate, I'm exceptionally well, Nasa. How are you? I'm really, really well, mate. Excitingly, we've got an international superstar joining us today, Abby Martin. Good morning, Abby. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's our pleasure indeed. Our pleasure indeed. Abby, you're a superstar. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? My name is Abby Martin. I'm an investigative journalist and host of a series online called The Empire Files. And it is an, a series that looks at kind of every issue in the world through the lens of the fact that the U.S. is the largest empire that's ever existed. And everything should be seen kind of through the context of that lens. And that includes, of course, Palestine and how it's useful for empire. And I've also directed a feature length film called Gaza Fights for Freedom that you can check out. It's up for free to watch on YouTube and Vimeo. Fantastic. And I, th- I suggest everyone does watch that because it's very insightful. So that was well done. Fantastic stuff. That was an amazing resume, Abby. It's a testament to who you are. And we'll put links to those, uh, to the Empire Files on, on the podcast. So make sure you check those out. Now, Abby, let's start with how you got to Palestine. Sure. I mean, I think that I have to go back to the aftermath of 9-11 because I don't know how it was in Australia, but, um, you know, definitely being in the belly of the beast as an empire baby. Um, the post 9-11 era was extremely intense and it was a really heavy time of just complete indoctrination and propaganda of the war on terrorism, of course. And Americans will conflate Palestine with what happened to this day because across the board, corporate media networks immediately showed Palestinians, quote unquote, dancing in the streets on the morning of 9-11. So as you know, simultaneously, we saw the Twin Towers being hit, um, fall, falling, being pulverized to the ground. And then at the same time, we would see Palestinians dancing. And this was, this was happening over the course of several days. I remember the morning of 9-11, um, an Israeli official came on C-SPAN, which was like, you know, basically the premier um, source of a lot of people's news that morning and, and also made their way across corporate media, basically saying, this is your moment. Now you need to integrate yourself into the war on terrorism, the same war that we've been fighting for decades already. And we're going to kind of instruct you on how to wage that battle. And so all of this was solidified from day one um, that Palestinians were essentially responsible in part for what happened to this country. So it's been very disturbing from day one. I think as I became radicalized in a post 9-11 world, as we went into Afghanistan and of course, subsequently Iraq and realizing the complicity of the corporate media, the complicity of the Democratic Party, selling these wars, covering up for war criminals. um, It was such a shocking, radicalizing moment for me to realize that I didn't live in a democracy. I lived in a, a very perverse system of this two-party dictatorship that 
basically just overrode what the Americans wanted, what the world wanted, and really imposed its world order on the rest of the planet, subjugating tens of millions of people around the world. So it was a very shocking, kind of profound awakening. And with that awakening, I think it just naturally falls where you realize that, you know, Palestine, Israel is such a central issue to waking up as an anti-imperialist and dedicating your work to anti-imperialism because of how useful Israel is to the U.S. empire in that region of the world and how much uh, the U.S. empire has emboldened Israel to act with such blatant criminality um, to the point where, you know, now because of the power that we've given Israel over the course of several decades, now Israel has this ridiculous amount of control over state legislatures and it goes on and on and on. So I think that that was the initial step for me was kind of realizing how it all fit together. The next step was the flotilla massacre, seeing this egregious massacre take place, executing, wantonly executing peace activists who were unarmed, simply on a boat delivering aid and seeing how the media covered that event, basically justifying it and our politicians justifying it. That was a shocker for me. And there was really no going back um, for me. I mean, at that point, I realized that I need to show the truth. I need to reveal what is really happening because of how egregiously one sided our media was in covering this issue. Were you a journalist at that stage or with this beginning of your journalist career? I uh, back during the Iraq war, I started an organization called Media Roots because I slowly realized through anti-war activism that if you didn't have a platform to tell your message about anything, it just didn't matter. It fell on deaf ears. And so the corporate media consolidation compounded with like my awakening with the political system led me to basically say I need to do my own citizen journalism to tell these stories and to relay these issues because the media was completely controlled. And I was just so confused why the media was, uh, you know, working alongside and essentially just acting as an appendage um, for our government. From that point, you went to Palestine? Going there is a whole different thing. Through media roots, I was covering Occupy Wall Street. I became the liaison for Russia Today. Ended up doing breaking the set at RT where I was covering Palestine more and more. I was able to confront several Israeli officials about the war crimes they were committing. I worked alongside several Palestinians who had to check in with their family and friends every time Israel would go on the offense and just carpet bomb Gaza. And it was just a very emotional roller coaster. Um, and so of course, at RT, I was doing a daily show in studio in Washington, D.C. I wasn't really able to travel much. Of course, my dream was always going to Palestine and connecting with my brothers and sisters there. And so basically the first thing I did when I stepped down from that job and took on the role of doing Empire Files was go to Palestine myself for a month um, with my partner, Mike Preisner. And we traveled extensively throughout the West Bank. Um, through Jerusalem. Uh, we spent very little time in uh, Israel or within 48, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, the West Bank was just the most incredible trip I've ever taken in my life. And it was the most hospitable, personable people. And what was most shocking about the trip was the fact that Palestinians knew me from speaking out on RT on behalf of their cause. And it really showed you how stark that absence really is, the void of coverage the pro-Palestine voice is just completely absent. And the fact that that meant, um, you know, that they they knew me because of that really said everything to me and really meant everything to me. It's, it's amazing. Um, at, at that same trip. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, say it's amazing. They don't want your sympathy. They just want you to tell the world about them. That's basically what it is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, that is exactly what it is. It's just, you know, and that that's how Gaza Fights for Freedom came about was meeting with 
several journalists during the Great March of Return and them asking me to help tell the story of what was really happening because of how abysmally one-sided and egregiously false the corporate media coverage was of this incredible action, this her- heroism that they were committing every day. So I was really honored to to work with those Palestinian journalists within Gaza. But of course, I was banned um, from going into Gaza and I'm banned for life. Um, and I've basically been labeled an Iranian spy and a propagandist. So I probably won't be allowed back into you know the Tel Aviv airport. But Everything I've done has been worth it, and I think that that really shows you that you're uh, you're doing something right if you're banned from an entire country. <laughs> you did do a video in uh, in Israel, and you were wandering around, talking to all walks of life over there, whether they be children, mothers, fathers, families, and you were asking them about the Palestinians. Uh, what what was the responses that you got, and how did you feel about it? I mean, this is something that we're told all of our lives, that Palestinians are terrorists who want to exterminate Jewish people. And that's why they have to be caged in this ghetto. And that's why they they have to be oppressed and subjugated in such an extreme way. Right. And um, that's why it was just so amazing to be there on the ground, speaking to hundreds of Palestinians who said nothing but basically relaying the fact that they just wanted to live in harmony with their neighbors and brethren. And they just wanted peace and democracy. And you step one foot into Israeli society. And it, the racism bigotry is palpable. Um, I was I spent simply a couple hours in a place called Tolerance Square in Jerusalem. And it was just horrifying. I mean, you can see for yourself, check out the videos. It's called Israeli, Everyday Israelis Express Genocide to Abby Martin, because that's exactly what happened. And people will have pointed to this video and they're like, oh, you made Israelis look really bad. You cherry pick these interviews. It's like, no, sadly, this was just everyone that was willing to talk to us on camera in a span of three hours. We didn't leave anyone out and we didn't cut out really anything anyone said. We just put it together. Like, I'm sorry. This is a very accurate representation of Israeli society. It was basically genocidal bloodlust. Um, starting off a little tame, but the second you just say very ambiguous things like, what do you think should be done for peace? It starts to basically go, we need to exterminate them. We need to drop a nuclear bomb. We need to erase their culture. Um, And it's just unfathomable that these people are willingly expressing genocidal sentiment on camera to an American journalist thinking, yeah, you agree with me, right? Like, like we're all on the same page here. And I think it really speaks uh, very disturbing volumes about what is said behind closed doors, that this is what they're willing to say openly on camera to Americans. And it also shows you the stark difference and discrepancy of what we're told by U.S. politicians, that Israelis just want to live in peace. They just want a democracy. And really, the truth is completely opposite. And you have to ask yourself, why is it that we never hear from Israelis themselves? You know, and why is it um, that these views are completely hidden from Americans because it flips the entire narrative on its head. Yeah, I, I did um, something similar as well. And the, some of the, the rhetoric that came out of their mouths was terrible. You know, I asked whether or not they had met a Palestinian because they hate them so much. And I said, you know, have you met one? And I said, why would I meet them? They stink, they're animals, they're, you know, they're terrorists. But, uh, you know, I also then wandered through some of the Palestinian areas and I said, you know, what, what do you think of the Jews? And I said, it's not the Jews, it's the Zionists. And they were really hard on right. For saying that, and I, I was, I couldn't believe it. You know, it was fantastic. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing when someone just goes and actually talks to them <laughs> to see what. I mean, you, you spoke to it. The, the tenor of everything you're saying, uh, Abby, is about the fact that 
Palestinians are silenced. And the image, the portrayal of Israel as this sanitized Western civilized society, just like us, when the reality isn't just a veneer. I mean, when you're talking about 9-11, Netanyahu is quoted as saying, this is going to be good for us. And we know that after 9-11, the devastation that was wrought throughout the East, from Afghanistan through to Iraq, Libya, I mean, the absolute destruction of a huge chunk of the developing world is just it's just sickening to even imagine. Abby, you were going to give a speech at Georgia Southern University a few years ago. I want you to speak about the anti-BDS legislation that is sort of creeping its way through the United States state legislatures. Donald Trump signed an executive order a couple of years ago as well. You were due to speak in 2019, I think, and you were given an honorarium. But that state has a, a law that says that if you receive money from the state, you need to sign a declaration that you won't participate in a boycott of Israel. Take us through that and the case. Isn't that incredible? I mean, I think people would be completely shocked to learn that in America, over half of the 50 states in the U.S. have these similar type laws on the books, Nasser. So you have, you know, over 25 states that have anti-BDS clauses out there, which basically says if you are an independent contractor, So in my case, I was scheduled to give an honorarium at a state university. In other people's cases, they simply are substitute teachers, they're construction workers, anyone who's contracted for $1,000 or more in any of these states are required to sign a loyalty oath to the state of Israel, basically a fealty pledge to a foreign government very curious in a country that's constantly talking about foreign subversion of our democracy when it comes to Russia and China, yet this foreign government is just completely baked in to our society. And we're supposed to just think that this is totally fine, that a foreign government has completely undermined our First Amendment rights. So as you mentioned, I was supposed to give a conference, not even about Palestine, just about media literacy at a conference at Georgia Southern. I was given this contract and of course I refused to sign it. And after that happened, the conference fell apart. I felt completely helpless. And then I realized, hey, I actually have power here. I could sue the state because this is completely discriminatory. It's an affront to my constitutional rights. And you can't even put a dollar amount on free speech. The fact that I was silenced and that these views are silenced in this giant campaign to basically chill pro-Palestine activism is reprehensible. And so I sued the state of Georgia. The lawsuit lingered for quite a while because of COVID, but inevitably just weeks after the latest assault on Gaza, federal district judge Mark Cohen actually ruled in my favor, just like several other judges have done in several other states that have been challenged, that these laws have been challenged locally. And the judge said, yes, this is unconstitutional. But what happened next is quite baffling. An Israeli consulate official actually went to the Georgia state legislature and asked them, and this is all visible on camera, it's the subversion is completely out there for all to see this this official is basically saying we want you to change the law to render this case moot so basically it's a rhetorical victory and they ended up overwhelmingly passing this alteration of the law in israel's favor and at israel's behest and this was after netanyahu himself t- took to twitter and basically threatened you know we will boycott whoever boycotts us as a result of the law being declared unconstitutional. It was, it was quite dramatic. And it's just unbelievable that you have local state legislatures and representatives who, who swear an oath on this living document and they just flagrantly violate it. 
right, for just access and money from the Israeli lobby. And so what inevitably is the outcome of this is that I still have won the case. The case still stands. No one who's making $1,000 in the state can be charged with this law, can be given such a contract. But here's what they did. They changed the language to make it so that if you're making $1,000 or more, now you have to sign the pledge. So it was a very kind of insidious act to preserve this law, this unconstitutional law, even though it's still rendered unconstitutional because it doesn't matter how much you're being paid, right? It's the, the principle still applies. So it was basically a way for the Israeli lobby to still declare victory, even though the law is still seen as unconstitutional. It's a little bit confusing, but it's just absolutely amazing when you see the lengths that the lobby will go to preserve these laws on the books because they know once they are repealed, that is setting an incredible precedent moving forward. And it will just only embolden the movement that they know will inevitably take them down. And that is exactly why they have passed these laws in the first place. So is it not up for challenge at all, Abby? Couldn't it be, theoretically, you'd be asked to do a speech again, be paid $1,001, and then you refuse to, and then take that case so, forward. So again. now it's a hundred thousand dollars. So now, and they've done this, they've done this very purposefully because now it has to be someone like a Ben and Jerry's, like a Roger Waters, someone big getting big bucks in the state to then now challenge this law to now take this down. It's, it's unreal, but that's sadly where it has to go now. Yeah. So what we should do is crowdfund a hundred thousand dollars, Abby. Get hundred thousand dollars together. <laughs> promise to pay you hundred thousand, but you promise to give us back ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that they can, we can take them to court again. <laughs> All right. So if we've got any rich listeners, please contact us at three like. CR so we can put that hundred thousand dollars together for. <laughs> Go to Georgia and sign a contract there. Listening to that, I remember reading about it and thinking it just can't be true. There must be something wrong here, because if the everyday American knew that that was going on, they'd be flabbergasted. I mean, not only do their taxes go over to you know, Israel to you know, fund one of the world's greatest terrorist organisations called Israel, but they've also got these laws within their own laws being controlled by another country. It's just flabbergasting. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that there's no, no other comparison similar to this from any other country. No, in fact, um, you can boycott Georgia. You can boycott the US, right? It's, you can boycott whoever you want. <laughs> like, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable because it's not just like, it's not just a matter of free speech. Boycotting is protected in the First Amendment. And that goes back to the Montgomery bus boycotts during Jim Crow. So this is, it, it's kind of twofold of an erosion of our First Amendment at the behest of a foreign country. And it is flabbergasting and it's astounding that not more Americans know about it. And it goes back to the problem of the media complicity. You know, and I blame them. This is a huge story. And with hyperbolic outcry about college campuses and the assault on free speech, this is the biggest free speech issue of our time. And this is the state legislatures putting a law in the books that censor a type of speech. And I can't think of anything more serious than that happening in this country. Yeah, it's crazy. Just going on from that, we've got the uh, the Ukraine and Russia issue at the moment, and everybody's calling for boycotts. So all of a sudden, boycotts don't seem to be anti-Semitic anymore. Do you see that those boycotts helping the Palestinian cause down the track because it's sort of more normal? It's a great question, and I really hope it does jolt some sort of understanding of um, linking the struggles together, linking the consciousness that now has just erupted, that occupied people have the right to resist right? Oppression and war and occupation. I mean, it's incredible, right? And I think that it's, we can yeah. use this moment to instruct others and say, yes, 
this is wrong. But all these other things are also wrong. And all these other things are actually um, wars and occupations that are being perpetrated by the West. And most importantly, as people living in the West, um, you know, Australia collaborates with the U.S. empire. We're in countries right now that we can do something about what our government is doing in Saudi Arabia, right? We can do something about what our government is doing um, to facilitate the ethnic cleansing in Palestine. These are things that we can do something about. So in order to build the pressure more, we can use this moment where there is this moral outrage about Russia invading Ukraine and the support of Ukrainians fighting back. We can hopefully apply that everywhere and express to people that we, you know, war didn't start two months ago. It's a permanent state. And for people in Palestine, this has been happening for 70 years. And so it's just about linking that consciousness and expanding that consciousness. And I do believe that people do care. It's just that they only know what they're told. And so it goes back to the problem of, you know, we need to really spread public education about this issue and shift the consciousness when it comes to this issue. But I do think that it, it, it can be beneficial. I can only imagine what Palestinians are thinking. I know that they're used to just seeing the media completely falsify who they are in a really disgusting way, but it just, it, I just, my heart goes out to them. I can't even imagine what they think after calling for boycotts and BDS for so long. And then to see the world just shift overnight and basically lend more legitimacy to Ukrainians lives than people who have been dying um, in complete and utter silence for years and years and years. It's quite a disgrace. Yeah, I saw a poster yesterday and I sent it to NASA. It was in the shopping center saying free Ukraine. And I know that uh, you know NASA in the, in the previously has tried to get signs up for Palestine and you might get it up for a day, and as soon as that goes up, we had the pro-Israel groups hit it so hard that it has to be taken down pretty quickly. And it's astonishing that the poor Palestinians looking in going, hey, this has been happening for a long time over here, but we're terrorists. We're terrorists. And they, yeah, they call them terrorists for throwing rocks at tanks, right? But then they'll be publishing how to make Molotov cocktails and where exactly to throw them into a Russian tank to kill Russian, Russian soldiers. It's like, oh, my God. I mean, the hypocrisy is, is staggering. BBC ran a tutorial how to create the best Molotov cocktail. Yeah. The conversation in the States. I saw a survey in the States on net sympathy for Israel by party ID for registered voters. And sympathy for Israel within the Democratic Party is down to like 2 or 3%. It's still in the 60s for, for Republicans. Are you seeing a shift? I mean, aside from the campus spaces, the conversation amongst, amongst the halls of power? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, well, among the holes of power, that's another, that's another thing. There's a huge disconnect with how the politicians are going to portray the issue. They're still calling for a two-state solution. They still pretend like Netanyahu and, and um, Naftali Bennett are somehow aberrations from Israeli society, that they just represent the ultra right wing and that really Israeli society is good and democratic and blah, 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 blah. So I, I would say this disconnect, they're holding on to this narrative as long as possible. Um, but I think Bernie Sanders broke through that kind of wall of silence a little bit during the campaign because he was talking honestly about actually withdrawing settlements to the 1967 borders. I mean, that that's a pretty shocking statement that, you know, Hamas was even willing to negotiate in their latest charter. So um, I think that it reflected the times because going backwards four years prior to that, Bernie Sanders was absolutely horrible on Palestine. He was going out there in 2014 defending the war on Gaza. So that is a testament to the pressure on him. 
that's the grassroots movement that has been burgeoning and blossoming. I mean, you can point at several factors here. The first one being the fact that after 9-11, the anti-war movement, even though it was massive and you had millions of people in the streets opposing the war in Iraq, it was still very controversial to mix the message of a free Palestine. And people still said it's too controversial. Um, this doesn't make sense. We don't want to incorporate this messaging. Fast forward until today, um, you cannot enter anti-war spaces unless you are unabashedly pro-Palestine. It just it just won't work anymore. There's no such thing as liberal Zionism. I think it's very clear today for every activist working in left anti-war organizing spaces that this is the fundamental issue that we need to agree on if we want to move forward as anti-imperialists. And I think this all came to fruition during the last assault on Gaza. I mean, of course, every time Israel goes on a, on a brutal, sadistic assault, either in the West Bank or Gaza, I think popular opinion dramatically shifts, especially with the advent of social media where Palestinians are able to, to film their own reality, right? And Israel has been losing its grip more and more on controlling that. And so every couple of years when Israel does this, you'll see them lose more and more support, especially with their kind of celebrity liaisons that they use to, to parade out there and legitimize themselves. Natalie Portman, Seth Rogen, um, you know, even Gal Gadot <laughs> a couple years ago, like was even embarrassed to really lend full support. I mean, she's an Israeli herself. So um, the last year when the latest assault happened, we saw record protests historic protests uh, against Israel in this country. And it was just absolutely amazing what we saw. I mean, I was out in the streets, tens of thousands of people, 10 times more than we'd ever seen in the past, where we even have an open, you know, pro-Palestine congresswoman, Rashida Tlaib, who confronted Joe Biden on the tarmac and said, you need to do something about this. And so Netanyahu at the time said at the beginning, he was like, I have a green light. Biden's given me a green light to do whatever I want. Five days later, he said, we basically, I can't hold back the pressure any longer. And that was due to not of only the American protests, but the world coming out in solidarity in droves that we have never seen before. And that is going to continue to mount because as we see Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International declaring Israel's an apartheid state, the conversation no longer becomes, is it an apartheid state or isn't it? What defines apartheid? No, it's unequivocal. It's an apartheid state. Now we have to address what can we do about it to end apartheid. And once you have these liberal human rights organizations on board, that's a great sign because there's no going back from that. All we can do is move forward and take down apartheid and we can and we will. We've got a couple of minutes left, Abby. Interesting that you spoke and I've always held the anti-imperialist line that in fact, Israel's the domino. We get justice for Palestine, for the Palestinians, that Israel's the domino for Western imperialism. It's the bastion. This is the one we're holding out on because of it. We can continue to do what we want throughout the rest of the world. What are your thoughts about that? I think that it is is a domino and it's a very important chess piece for the U.S. And there's a kind of a misunderstanding of Israel's role and how it fits into U.S. imperialism. And I mean, it's to me, it's really interesting in two parts. One is the fact that this relationship was kind of solidified in a concrete way during the rise of anti-colonial movements in, across the region in the Middle East. And so there there was a point where the U.S. empire saw the necessity of using Israel and basically investing tremendously in it to stave off 
um, the new kind of struggle for liberation that was very infectious. Another one is just the sheer geography of Israel. I mean, look where it's next to Lebanon and Syria. You know, the fact that we blame Hezbollah for everything. I mean, the fact that we need to basically take down Lebanon and Syria for our own interests as well. And Israel is a linchpin for those regions. And the fact that Lebanon, they, they constantly attack Lebanon. They're constantly bombing Syria at our request. Every single airstrike on Assad is basically done with the request and approval of the U.S. government. So I would say those two things really kind of explain why Israel is so important to U.S. imperialism and hegemony in the region. And even Joe Biden has said himself several years ago that if Israel didn't exist, that America would need to create an Israel to serve her interests in the Middle East. And of course, it's kind of a, a runaway train at this point, because as I mentioned before, when you're pouring tens of billions of dollars every year into this apartheid state, it just will continue to embolden itself. And the Israel lobby has just strengthened so much that it almost just acts on its own accord a lot of the times here. So you have this kind of conflation with the Israeli lobby influencing more of the U.S. as opposed to the U.S. influencing more of how Israel behaves. And I would say it's just a, a very incestuous relationship that's been completely emboldened by the U.S. empire. But it is absolutely the linchpin in the region. And if you go back to all the justifications for a lot of terrorist attacks, even 9-11 itself, Israel has always been front and center with the grievances, with the grievances of a lot of people who have been wronged and uh, oppressed that, you know, all of this is kind of an outgrowth of, and that's been expressed very clearly that Israel and the U.S. support for Israel is a lot of the reason for a lot of the strife that continues. And that'd be a fantastic way for us to finish. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Robert Nasser, thank you so much for all of your work. Thank you so much for having me on. Keep it up. Keep fighting. Really appreciate your time. Thanks again, Abby. That was the amazing Abby Martin. Be sure to go to the podcast so you can see some of her other work. Tell your friends, share the podcast, make sure you watch some of Abby's work. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.